This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I want you to start something new this morning. Um, um, let, let me just say this first and then we'll get into it. So do you know that the average cost of a chicken egg is 47 cents? 47 cents. Not very much, is it? I think because it's such an inexpensive consumable, the thing about it is we don't put terribly much value in it because it's just so readily available and readily accessible to us. So the thing about it is it's just quick and easy. I mean, every time you need a chicken egg, you just run off to Costco and get a couple of dozen. If you drop one, it's not the end of the world. It's like it's just a chicken egg. It's 47 cents. So we don't really put terribly much value in chicken eggs. But the thing is that not all eggs are the same. So Fabergé makes eggs. So Fabergé makes one egg called Imperial Easter. It's a little bit more than 47 cents. It's about 33 million. 33 million for an egg. I've been thinking a little bit about this because we say a lot of things and I think it's important that sometimes we think about the significance of what God is doing and where he's wanting to go and how we partner with him. I do believe that God is doing a new thing in the church. I think, unfortunately, the economy of the church was very much defined by the chicken egg. God was readily available, readily accessible, come to church, go to Bible study, get him. We grow up in a society, in an environment where God is available everywhere. And there's something really good about that because the thing about it is we we want people to have access to God. We would love for people to have a relationship with God. My concern about about it is that it's become so ubiquitous in many ways that it's become familiar to us. And because of that familiarity, we treat the things of God as the chicken egg, not the Fabergé. I feel in myself that it just, the time is coming for us to change. Actually, it's already here. And the church either has to change or it's going to be left behind. See, if the church doesn't change, what ends up happening is we'll end up with another denomination. We've built an altar to what God used to do, but we never moved on with him. Moving on with God is not going to be defined by the chicken egg people. It's going to be defined by the people that realize and have an appreciation for the fact. The things of God are a lot more consequential to us sometimes than we realize. We speak a message of hope and of goodness 
the gospel, the good news. It's wonderful. It's good. But very often we leave it in the context of what God wants to do for you. Yeah. As opposed to understanding that God has a much bigger plan. Yes. We live in a nation that's not in a very good state. God's not going to move in the nation if he doesn't move through his body. Which means it's you and me. So there becomes a responsibility on us to be able to step up to the plate to recognize the fact that we have something valuable. And the reason that we need to hold on to that and value it and take care of it, prize it and put it in an esteemed place, is because we want to be at a place where we want to be used by God to do something of significance in our world. So I want to start off today and um, I want to speak to you about something um, that I've titled Inspiring the Eyes of Your Heart. I want to read three um, verses to you and then what I'm going to do is just speak a little bit about them and weave them together. I want to start off in Genesis chapter 12, um, verse 1. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of from your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. I also want to read 2 Corinthians 5.17, which all of you will know. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways no, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We all know the story of Abram. Um, why don't you do me a favor and pass me more water? Thank you. We all know the, thank you, the story of Abram. And reading this part of the, his story, really gets back to the, the genesis, the beginning of what's going on in his life. The thing is, we have a big advantage because we've kind of read his life story, so we know what happens. But at this point, Abrams doesn't know what the future holds. This is right at the outset. And the word comes to Abraham and he says to him, okay, this is what I want you to do. And the first thing that God says to him is, I want you to get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a place that I will show you. I think what's important for us to realize is that God never leaves us where we are. God is always going to take us on a journey with him. And when we go on a journey with God, we're going to discover some stuff along the way. But the first invitation that he extends to us is to get out. The first invitation he extends to us is to get out of your country, get away from your family, get away from your father's house, get out from everything that is familiar to you. Why does he do that? 
Because the moment that he comes into your life, he comes into an environment that's been built and established without the author's participation. So everything that he comes into is a world that's been defined by me and my history and where I've been and what I've experienced and the inputs that have been into my, put into my life. And the way that I usually decide to live is, bec- is as a result of my engagement with people and life and environments and my emotional state. And all of those things begin to form certain things on the inside of me. They crystallize and they, and they give me ideas, good ideas, bad ideas, sometimes just misinterpretations, but it's ideas that nonetheless begin to take form on the inside of me and give definition to who I am. I have ways of working. It's established within me value sets, things that I think are so important. It's established goals and ambitions for me and things that I want to work towards. It's established habits and living patterns that that have been inculcated in places where I feel comfortable. It's created on the inside of me something that is so familiar to who I am. I call it my normal. I like living in my normal. It's not always functional. It's not always right. It doesn't always deliver the best results, but it's my normal. It's where I'm comfortable. It's funny when we grow up in our normal and we're comfortable in our normal, everybody that isn't part of our normal looks abnormal, even when my normal is equally as abnormal to theirs. So we're all living in our abnormal called normal. It's just not always that functional. It's not always that healthy. Sometimes it creates people that really we're our own worst enemy. Because we don't deal with situations well. We don't engage with people well. We don't know how to handle the the challenges of life in a constructive way. And so there's things that come into our life. And all of these things have given definition to who we are and how we live and what we value and what we esteem and how we interact and the habits that have been established. And we've got this lovely little collection called our country and our family and our father's house. And God says, you know what? Let's go. Let's go. He wants you to get out of your familiar. He wants you to get out of your comfort zone. He wants you to get out of your normal because he had no place in establishing any of that stuff. And what he's saying is, I have something so good for your life. But the thing about it is, I want you to be introduced to it. I want to walk you into it. So you've got to let go of some stuff to be able to move ahead. Don't pack a bag. I don't want you to bring baggage. I want you to come with me. We're going to go on a journey. And when we begin to go on a journey, it's not always a comfortable place for us because you're going to begin to do some stuff that is uncomfortable for you because it's not part of your familiar. It's not part of your normal, but it's part of the journey because what he's beginning to teach us is that the foundation of your life has been established on everything that you thought was so valuable. And what he's teaching us is that the foundation of our life is to be a relationship with him. Everything that formed that foundation is going to be challenged, and most of it is going to fall away. But you don't have to wobble in that place. He's teaching us to build up a trust in him. He is always there for us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And if I invited you on the journey, I'll partner with you the whole way. So you've got to understand he's always going to be there. Part of the challenge is that when we meet with God, and we're introduced to him. The thing is that invariably what we want to do is we want to invite God into our world where really he's asking us to leave home. You see, what we're really saying is, God, will you come into my space? Will you come into my country? Will you come into my family? Will you come into my father's house? Come into all of those places that I've designed, the way that I know how to live, the way that I know how to deal with people. I know it's not perfect, Lord, but maybe you can fix it. (laughs) 
You can come into my world and fix my world for me. But God's not into fixing up. God's goal and God's ambition is not to fix you. He is not trying to do a patch-up job. God's goal is to introduce you to newness. The challenge that we have very often as Christians and the reason that we're so frustrated is because we're trying to invite him into our world and we recognize that things aren't always working the way that they should and we're looking for him to fix our world. We're looking for him to fix our behaviors. We're looking for him to fix the way that I used to do things. We're looking for him to fix the way that, that my uh, career path isn't going. We're looking for him to come into that space and do some stuff in there. The thing about it is God isn't into fixing. God is into newness. We feel so guilty about so much stuff that we do. And so we do what we do is we say, God, can you come and make me feel less guilty? And God says, I'm not on, on a job of fixing you up. I can't make you feel less guilty, but I can introduce you to righteousness. I'm not trying to fix it. I'm trying to introduce you to newness. We struggle because if, every one of us has insecurities in areas. Every one of us got challenges and things that we face on a regular basis. And it doesn't matter. Maybe there's some areas you feel really good about, but I can promise you there's some areas where you feel quite vulnerable. And the thing about it is what we're looking for is we're looking for God to come in and say, can you make me feel a little less insecure? And he says, well, I'm not trying to make you less insecure. I'm trying to introduce you to who you are in Christ. It's not about fixing you up. It's about introducing newness. We have things that we think are so important to us. I want to have profile and I want to have significance and I want to get somewhere in my career and I want to be recognized, which in and of itself, none of those things are really bad unless it's a prop. The problem with it is a lot of things that we want and a lot of things that we have an appetite for is not necessarily for the right reasons, but it's because it'll put me in a place where people will look at me and people will value me and people will esteem me and it'll make me feel special. The motivation is what's wrong. So what we're doing is we ask God to come into our life because you're going to make my life better. So you're going, to, you're going to promote me at my job. And you're going to put me in a place where people will look at me and people will say, gee, you're so great and you're so special and I'm going to feel like I'm so significant. Yeah. And he says, I'm not here to fix your propping up. Yes. I'm trying to introduce you to the fact that when you introduce to me and you let me move into that space, I'll be your all in all. Yes, that's so None of those things are inherently bad unless your motivation is not sound. But we all have that stuff. That's part of what we deal with. What's important is to recognize that stuff and to understand that the job that God is doing on the inside of us and the invitation that he's always extending to us is leave home. Yeah. Leave it behind and come and discover something new with me. Yeah. Part of the challenge that I think we sometimes have is that we restrain God and we bind God because of our realities and our understandings. And so what ends up happening is we move him to a place where he's bound in what he's able to do as opposed to letting him set us free and move into the potential that God has for us. Wow. 
We want to bring him back to who we are. This is the way that I understand life should be. This is what I think is important. This is how I think this should be handled. This is what I think. It's all about me, 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 me. And so the thing is, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to take God and fit him into my mold. I'm trying to take gold and I'm, God and I'm trying to put him into the place that I think is important. I'm trying to take God so that he takes and blesses the things that are of value to me. And God's sitting saying, hold on a second. This paradigm is completely being established by you. The thing about it is I'm not wanting to work in that space so that I can fulfill your dreams and your desires. I'm looking for you to move to a place that I can set you free so that those things don't have the kind of hold and bind on you and move you into something new, into something fresh so that you can experience the freedom of what it is to live life out of freedom and fullness and blessing. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, as the heavens are higher than the earth. So my thoughts are above your thoughts and my ways above your ways. It's quite important. There are two important words in those verses. Thoughts and ways. Thoughts and ways. God touches on two of the fundamentals of our life. Thoughts. Ideas. Everything is about ideas. I'll speak about it in a little while. But ideas are important because everything that we experience, everything that we go through, is, always, is, is all about the depositing of ideas into our life. When you have an interaction with people, you're left with an idea. When you get scolded, you're left with an idea. When you deal with the consequences of an action, you're left with an idea. All of those ideas come into a place called our heart. And that becomes important because the ideas that take root in that space begin to define who we are. Ideas, once they birthed and once they grow and once they deliver fruit, define how we think, define how we feel, and result in the actions that we decide to take. Ideas are important. God's saying, essentially, the ideas that you have about yourself, the ideas that you have about life, the ideas about how you think you should be behaving are up to you, and that's fine. But understand this. When you start a journey with me, I'm going to elevate all of those things because what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my ideas and I'm wanting to introduce you to my ideas. I'm wanting you to leave behind your ideas and your interpretation of who you think you are and what your future is all about. About, and I want for you to grab a hold of my ideas. Yeah. It's not just about ideas, but he talks about his ways as well. What he's saying is the way that we've been handling life and the way that you dealt with life when you were back in your country was you were the source of everything. And so as the source of everything, you engaged with stuff and people and environments and situations. And as a result of that engagement, what ended up happening is you used your senses to give definition to ideas. And the crystallization of, uh, of those ideas seeded themselves into the very core of your being. And what God's saying is, your ways are not my ways. And the invitation that he extends to us is this. I want for you to understand that when we move into relationship with me, it's no longer about your senses and what's happening out in your world. 
It's about your heart and your spirit connecting with my spirit. And as a result of that, what happens in that relationship is going to change you. Because there are transfers that happen in that space that are different to the way that you've used to live. I want you to leave home and country and family and your father's house. I want you to leave behind your ideas. I want you to leave behind your ways of doing things. And I need for you to understand that as you embark on the journey, I'm going to fill your life with my ideas, but it's going to be done my way. It's a good thing. So as a father, I've realized something important. As a son and a father, I don't think we always appreciate it. I certainly didn't. But the funny thing about when we're growing up is that our father plays such a key role in our life. And the thing is, fathers are doing what they believe is best. You're always going to have some negligent fathers. You're always going to have some fathers who are, are not particularly good or healthy. I, I get all of that stuff. But your average father is really trying his best to do what he needs to do. But you know what the funny thing is? The father doesn't always get it right. And the strange thing is, even when he is getting it right and doing his best, the problem with it is sometimes our interpretation of what's taking place as children is inaccurate, but we're left with a wrong impression. A father who's working really hard who says, I understand my responsibility is to provide for my family. So he's off working hard, trying to earn a living, trying to do what's necessary. But because he's working really hard, he may not be accessible, as accessible to his children as perhaps they would like. They may understand what he's doing, but the interpretation of it may well be, you know what? Your work was more important to you than me. So I got left with something, an idea. The reason it becomes important is because the father figure always sets the paradigm for God. We don't think it does, but it does. And the funny thing about it is, as you begin to mature in the things of God, you begin to recognize so many of the limitations that we put on God are as a result of the relationship that was established with our father at an early age. I'm telling you this because the thing that I've come to realize is that very often what ends up happening is we end up making God in our image after what we believe his likeness is, as opposed to letting him make us in his image after his likeness. But it creates issues for us because depending on what your interpretation was of your childhood and the father figure, very often what ends up happening is we see God in ways that he's not. An austere God whose way, who's absent, who's not available to me, who's not accessible in my life. Someone who's difficult, someone who's judgmental, somebody who's sitting up there with a stick waiting to slap me. I don't know what our perceptions are of God, but part of leaving home means having uh, the maturity to be able to sit and say, I can leave behind those preconceived ideas of who God is. And as I journey forward, I need to move to a place where I allow the Holy Spirit to bring truth into that space. I'm a new creation in Christ. All things have passed away and all things have become brand new. 
Old things have passed away. Get out of your country. Leave your family. Leave your father's house. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. All things have become new. The biggest word in the Bible is in that sentence. All. We skim over it sometimes. Because we're so overwhelmed with newness. All. Do you know what's amazing about all? It means exactly what it says. It means nothing of your past is coming with you. He didn't say the thing about all is that it's all encompassing. It's far reaching. It's extensive. It's all inclusive. There's no subtext to it that says it excludes the following. It's everything. Think about that for a minute. When you leave home, you are leaving everything. Everything is to become brand new. The person that I'm to become in him will be a person that will be unrecognizable in the future. You won't know who it is. Not because of me, but because that's his plan. How I live, how I engage, how I think, my values, my priorities, my relationship with God, all of those things are going to be redefined. Not only the ideas that I begin to grab a hold of and that I allow into my life, but also the way that I begin to live my life, the the focus and the source of my life, everything is going to shift. Everything is going to become brand new. Um, everything that used to define our past, everything that defined where I used to be is no longer going to define where I'm going to. From the moment that God walked into your life, at that very moment of engagement, what he said is, I'm drawing a line. What he's saying is, all things have passed away. All things will become brand new. So we're on a journey of newness. We're on a journey to become something new. We're on a journey to become a brand new creation. We're on a journey that allows him to do some stuff on the inside of me and change who I am and change the way that I live. It's about newness. It's about newness. The thing that's so interesting is when we begin to explore this, we begin to recognize the fact that newness is not going to come from me. You see, everything that I have has been defined from where I've been. I don't have anything new. If I need something new, something new is going to come from something or someone that is independent or outside of me. If I'm relying on myself, all I'm relying on is my history and what's been inherited. And so I can take that and I can try to reinterpret that and reinvent it in a different way. But it's really just regurgitating what was old. What he's saying is something new is coming into play. So I move to a place where I begin to recognize that something else becomes the source of my life. Something else is going to begin to give definition to who I am. If you have a look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Beloved, we are now children of God. Anybody a child of God out there? There you go. Okay. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Do you know what he's saying? Welcome to the journey. 
Welcome to the journey. What he's saying is, I am prepared to be and I plan on being the source of everything in your life. I want to be the one who takes the things of Christ and introduces them to you. You may not know all of it right now, and that's okay. The thing about it is, you know that I'm not the person I used to be, and I know I'm stepping into something new. And as I move into newness, what's going to define that newness is the Holy Spirit is going to take the things of Christ and reveal them to us. And as he reveals them to us, and as we behold them, so we will become like them. As a man beholding his face in a The Bible speaks so much about beholding and looking. It speaks so much about our ability to be able to see things from a spiritual perspective. It's really talking about the eye of the heart. What is the eye of the heart? It's your imagination. The imagination. God built you with such an incredible thing called your imagination. Why? Because the thing about it is every time an idea is planted in your heart, what ends up happening is it takes the idea that's on the inside of it and splashes it on the canvas of your imagination. Your ideas are not simply little coalesced words that come in a package and sit inside your heart. They form pictures on the inside of you. Ideas form pictures. And the thing is, what you behold, you become like. He's not talking about what you look at with your natural eye. What you're looking at with your natural eye will potentially give access to whatever that idea is to your heart. What he's talking about is what's happening with the eye of your heart. What he's saying is, what moves into that space and what begins to color the canvas of your life is what you'll spend your time looking at. That's why it says, guard your heart. Guard your heart. What is he saying? Watch the canvas. Watch the canvas. Because whatever comes into that space and begins to put pictures on the canvas of your life is what you're going to spend your time looking at. Um, Where we go? Where is I going with this? I was telling you something. Um... Was the canvas of your life. Romans chapter 1 verse 7, the second part of the verse. So the, the thing that's important for us is this. Romans 17 actually verse 7, the second part. I'll, I'll get to it in a minute. The point is this. So God is wanting to do something new in your life. But how is he going to do it? Where is newness going to come from? How do you become and how do you walk into a new creation in life? It's all very well asking me to leave everything behind. It's all very well telling me that something has happened. It's all very well saying that you're going to journey with me. It's all very well saying that you're going to take the things of Christ and reveal them to me and I will become like that. So how are you going to do it? Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> Romans 1 verse 17, the second part of the verse. And there are a number of um, references to this um, in the Bible, but it says the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Now, there are layers to that. And so I want to go into a couple of little layers because I think it'll be helpful for us. The just shall live by faith. Faith comes by? The? What word? The spoken word of God. Okay, so what he's saying is, the just shall live by faith. Well, 
faith is not accessible to us unless you have relationship. Faith comes from hearing the spoken word of God. It doesn't say reading the Logos. So what he's saying to us, first of all, is this. He's getting back to his original word. My ways are higher than your ways. What he's saying is, if you want to participate in the things of me, value relationship. Because relationship is the place from which I speak. Relationship is the place from which Rhema is gathered. Relationship is the place from which I take the things of who I am and I impart them to who you are. Relationship becomes fundamental. The just shall live by faith. What he's really saying at one level is this. The just shall live from relationship. Let me just give you an example here, why, because I think it might just be helpful. I know I've used this before, but it, it's helpful because I think it's a simple clarification for what faith is. Faith is not that complicated. Faith is really simple. Faith is just God speaking to you and making a commitment on his behalf. My kids know I can do a whole bunch of stuff. They know that I've got a wallet. They know that I've got transport, and they know that I can take them to Chick-fil-A. That doesn't mean anything in their life. They know the possibilities exist. The difference with it is if I say, Vivian, you know what? When I pick you up from school today, I'm taking you to Chick-fil-A. She's just got faith. What is faith? God, the one, that, uh, Dad, the one that I trust has just made a commitment that he's going to put yeah. me in his car and take me to Chick-fil-A. He made a commitment to me. She holds on to that. She will go and tell all of her friends at school, I'm going to Chick-fil-A for lunch. How do you know? You've never been there because my dad told me. Why? Because it comes from trust. It comes from relationship. I know my dad, and if he said that he's taking me to Chick-fil-A for lunch, we're going for lunch. That's why relationship with God is important, because relationship with God, is faith is not a complicated thing. When you live in relationship with God and God says to you, I want you to know something, I'm going to do this for you. I want you to know something when I'm, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. When you know God, when you trust God, when you have relationship with God, what ends up happening is there's an impartation that takes place. He's made a commitment to me on behalf of who he is to say that he's going to do something. It doesn't matter if I can't see it. He's picking me up after school. That's where we're going. Why? Because God told me. That's the big difference. Do I know that God can provide for me? Do I know that God will do things for me? Absolutely, I know that. But there's a big difference between knowing God is capable of doing those things than when God says, I tell you what, I want you to put your resume in there because I'm going to give you a job there. There's a big difference. That's what's missing. Relationship is not, a, a, a faith is not about just sitting saying, I'm going to grab hold of what the, what the scripture says and I'm going to run out and do stuff. That's presumption. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live from relationship with God. And in that space, everything that I get from him comes into my life. And he makes deposits through something called words. Words. God's words are power. They're not just for communication. They carry with them supernatural ideas, new ideas, God ideas. When we're in relationship with God and God says something, stuff happens. God says, light be. He creates through words. The intention that God has 
is conveyed within the seed of the word. And when it moves out of his mouth, it goes and fulfills that for which he intended. Isaiah 55, verse 11. So will my word be, which goes forth from my relationship. Relationship, did he tell you? We will not return to me, uh, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. What is he saying? I'm getting back to the just shall live by faith. I'm telling you, I'm making a commitment on my behalf as your God. I'm telling you, if I say something to you, you can take it to the bank. I'm telling you, if I make a commitment to you, you can know that it's going to come about. That's why relationship with God is so important. We're not called to live from the Logos. You need the Logos and you need to get into the Logos and you need to study the Logos and you need to put as much word on the inside of you as possible so that the Holy Spirit has something to work with. But God's always wanting to take us to the just shall live by relationship. He always wants to take us to the place that in every aspect of your life, in all that you do and in all that you engage, he's got a point of view. I've got an opinion. I've got a word. I've got something to say about who you are and what you're all about. I've got something to say about the way that you think about yourself. I've got something to say about your future and where you're going. He's got ideas that he's wanting to impart to us. And if you will listen to it, what ends up happening is the just shall live by faith. I put myself at a place where the containers of power that come from God, his words, are deposited in my life. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live from relationship with me, listening to what I tell them and the words that come out of my mouth because they deposited into them, their heart. A seed carries with it the life of whatever the seed is of. If it's an apple seed, you don't have to make the apple seed do anything. You just got to get in the ground. Nurture it, take care of it. It'll grow. What God's saying is, I'm wanting something new in your life. And the way that I'm going to do something new in your life is when you and I get into a relationship and I begin to speak to you about things. As I begin to speak, I'm going to use my words to impart my ideas to you. And as my ideas take root in your life, they're going to grow and bear fruit. God's word is the tool that God as the creator uses to make things happen. When God speaks into your life, God is not intending to engage your reason. God intends to excite your imagination. God's not intending to engage in dialogue and discussion with you. God's not interested in your opinion, with respect, where you've come from and where you've been and what you've encountered and what you've discovered. God says, I'm not going there because you left that at home. Okay? Let's not go there. That's your baggage. 
Get, get rid of your baggage. Anytime God tries to engage you at a point of reason, you're going to have dialogue between the two of you and you're going to argue with him. He's not interested in that. What God's sitting saying is, I'm interested in changing your heart. And the way that I change your heart is by take my, taking my ideas and inspiring the eye of your heart, the imagination. I want you to see my plans and purposes for your life. I want you to be able to imagine them. I don't want you to reason them out. I want you to see them. You see, the thing about God is God always takes the life that's on the inside of him. And what he does is he gives expression to it outside of him by using words. It's alive and it exists on the inside of God. The thing about it is it may not be visible, but it doesn't mean that it's not real. You just haven't seen it yet. We behave like this is such a foreign concept to us, like this is so bizarre and this is so weird. And yet we live like that all the time. The society in which we find ourselves has been defined by it. Alexander Graham Bell. I think I can invent something that you'll be able to pick up a little device and speak to somebody on the other side of the world. Really? Do you think people around him didn't laugh at him? And make fun of him. He's going to make a little gadget so he can speak to people in Africa. Ha! Because it had never been invented. We take it for granted now. Because it's so available and accessible to us. But at the time, nobody had ever heard about that. Let alone in Africa, I can call the state next door. That's crazy. That'll never happen. You'll be able to use your voice and they'll be able to hear you thousands of miles away. Yes. When he went out to go and do it, it wasn't because he was like, hey, look, here are a few odds and ends. Let's put these pieces together and see what happens. It was alive on the inside of him. His imagination had been running riot with this for a long time. It was so alive on the inside of who he was. He knew, I know if I put that pieces, if I put them together in this way, I'm sure that I can get it to work. I may have to make some small modifications and maybe a little bit of an adjustment here or there, but I know that I can get it to work. And so when he started making things and people said, well, you shouldn't do this and it doesn't work like that. Change this, move that, put this over here, put this in that place over there why because i know what it looks like it's alive inside of me you can't see it so you don't know what it looks like leave it up to me i'll do it and it worked and we take the telephone for granted two loopy brothers (laughs) thought that they could fly (laughs) people don't fly We can. You don't understand. I I know how this is going to work. I know the principles. I know what's going to make this work. I know that we can do it. Don't get in the way by telling me what we can't do and why we can't do it and only birds fly. I don't want to hear about it. You've never seen it before. It doesn't mean that it's not possible. I know how it's going to work because it's alive on the inside of me. God's not interested in what your environment looks like. God's not interested in what your history looks like. God's not interested in your arguments. What he's saying is, if you want to argue with me, what will end up happening is you'll pull down the canvas. Leave it. Let me do things. I'm not here to engage your reason. I'm here to inspire your imagination. I knew you before I formed you in the womb. Yes. 
You are not an accident. I thought about you and I considered you. And when you were being formed in the womb, I was like, yep, that's exactly how it needs to be. That should, that's it. I knew you before I formed you in the womb. When he met with Abraham, what did he sit and say? I'm going to make you the father of many nations. But God, but, and there were many buts. But he didn't engage Abraham's reason. He engaged his imagination. Come outside, look at me. Come, Abraham, let me show you the stars. Look at the stars, Abraham. Look at the sand on the sky, on the floor. Look at these things. What is he doing? I'm not interested in your reason. There are a million reasons why it shouldn't happen. I don't care. I want you to be inspired by what I can do. I want you to be inspired by what I can do. So let me ask you a question. What do you spend your time looking at on the canvas of your imagination? Your history or your future? Wow. Wow. That's good. That's so good. Mm. Your history or your future? Jesus never introduced himself solely as your savior. He introduced himself as Savior and Lord. It's important. It's important. Because Savior will get you out of something. But only Lord will take you into something new. Too many Christians want to have Jesus as Savior. I am a new creation in Christ. Hallelujah. Born again. Really important. Savior. But Lord says old things have passed away. Now let's make all things new. There is a big difference between the two. Part of the reason that so many Christians struggle is because they're born again and God has taken them out and he's made them brand new and he's washed away their sins and they're a new creation in Christ and the life of God has come and lives on the inside of them and resides on the inside of them. The thing about it is does that substance Define your future and who you are. Is it alive on the canvas of your imagination? The problem with too many Christians is I'm born again, but I'm looking at old movies. I'm looking at reruns from my old life and how things were so bad and things were so terrible. And this is how I've always been. And this is what what life used to look like. And these are the challenges that I have. And I'll probably never. Can I say something that's really, really, uh, I know it's so contentious right now. Please, can I say something? Please hear my heart, okay? Oh, Jesus, help me. (laughs) All the people of color here, let me just say one thing to you. Let me tell you. I'm not a person who condones racist, racism in any form. It's unacceptable, it's unbiblical, it's unscriptural, it's ungodly. There is nothing right about it. No, not a thing. But I'm concerned because there is an ideology, there's an idea out there. And the ideology is this, systemic racism. What it says is this, the whole world and the whole system And the whole country and everything is against you as a person of color. And if you buy the idea, the problem with it is you're setting up some serious roadblocks in your life. 
Because you know what? Every time something happens, it's because of the system. It's because, and it may not be. I'm not saying you're not going to run into racist people. You are. Don't agree with it, but it's going to happen. There are, anytime there are differences in the world, you're going to have stupid people. There are people who don't like women. There are women who don't like men. You have people who don't like immigrants. People who don't like Christians. It's never right. The thing about it is, be careful of the philosophy that's born out of that. Because if the philosophy is destructive and the philosophy isn't something that's born from God, the problem with it is you'll buy an idea and it'll spread onto the canvas of your heart. That's just one example. But they're all kinds. Is that okay? Listen, all of us have different things that we're being exposed to. That's just a high-profile one right now. God wants to do some incredible stuff in your life, and your imagination is so important because it becomes the eye of your heart. And what you behold, you become like. What we look at, we become like. So when he says to us, Beloved, we are now children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him. Where are you going to see him? On the canvas of your heart. The way that God speaks to us is that as you journey through life and he begins to speak to you about your circumstances and your situations, the realities of how you feel about yourself and your neighbor and everybody else, all of those things, everything that he's looking for is he's looking for you to have sole access to the canvas of your heart. To take his ideas and let that splash onto the canvas. The way that you change your life, old things have passed away and old things have become brand new. I used to be a person who was guilty. Now I'm a person who's righteous. I used to be a person who had a lot of complexes and issues and I felt uncomfortable about myself and I never liked living in my own skin and I felt very insecure about things. But now I'm discovering what it is to be a new creation in Christ. Stop thinking about the guilt. Stop thinking about the old. Stop thinking about the insecurities. Stop thinking about those things. Manage the canvas of your life. Anytime something splashes onto the canvas of your life that's not of him, pull it down. Stop the projector. Stop looking at it. Don't entertain it. That's not who you are. It's who you were. But that's not who you are. At a practical level, there's the opportunity for us to step into who he has created us to be. What you behold, you will become like. The reason that, uh, um, let me, how do you rephrase that? Reason is a challenge for us is because what happens is this. God is a creative God. As a creative God, God recognizes that everything is subject to change. God calls those things that be not as though they are. As the great creator, what God does is he takes what's alive on the inside of him and he introduces it to his world. That's what he does. And he takes it from his imagination. 
The reason that reason is destructive is because reason goes into the world to find all the reasons why something shouldn't exist. And reason begins to take your environment and begins to redefine who you are internally. It sets up barriers to what God wants to do in our life because I can tell you why that isn't going to happen, why I'm insecure, why I'm not as good as everybody else. I begin to reason all of those things. Anytime I default to reason, what I do is I open up the, the heart of my life to my world and my environment, how I feel, what I see, what I think, what people tell say me, what the newspapers are all about. All of that stuff begins to move into that space. We're not to be defined by reason. We're to be defined by God's words splashed on our imagination. That's why God totally circumvents your reason. He's like, I haven't got time for that. There's nothing good that's going to come from it. What I want to do is next week, I haven't got time to get into it now. I'm going to talk about at a practical level of the value of imagination and how God has created us with a heart that is designed to accept the things of God and to create fertile soil in which God takes those things and allows the things of God to grow on the inside of us so that we become the fullness of who he's designed to be. we designed to be. You know, the wonderful thing about it is this. Jesus has already done everything. There's nothing left to do. Jesus isn't coming back to do another job. He did it all once. And everything is available to us through grace. That's what grace is. The full provision of everything that Christ has provided for us. And so what we want to do is we want to be at a place where we make ourselves open and available to allow grace to come in and for grace to do some stuff in our life that we're not capable of doing ourselves. It never becomes a works program. It becomes a program of God taking the things of his, introducing it to our lives so that we become something new. He's not trying to make you better. He's trying to make you new. Always remember that. Father, I just want to thank you for every person here today. I want to thank you, Father, for blessing them. I thank you for the plans and purposes that you have for us, Father. I thank you for the thoughts that you have towards us. Thoughts of goodness. Thoughts to prosper us. I pray, Father, that at a practical level, we're very intentional this week about managing the screen of our life. I pray, Father, that we'll engage you at a place of relationship where we begin to hear your voice for the first time. We're at a deeper level than we've ever known it. As we spend time meditating on the words that you give us, I want to thank you, Father, that we get to behold who you are and as we behold you we shall become like you set a guard over every person here and father every time they go back to old movies ring a bell in their life 
ring a bell in their life, you're going back to what is at home. I thank you that everything has become brand new. Everything was to be defined by you. I thank you that as we step into that destiny, we realize the fullness of life that you've provided for us. In Jesus' name, amen.